Person in the flesh. It's so bizarre. Like you and I, we talk about this a lot. Like I feel like I've already met you, but we haven't. And this is our first day in sunny Bayside Dog Park, Dog yep. Beach. Yep. Good vibes right now that I needed sorely. <laughs> we're introducing this week's episode of Climactic, and we're we're you know down at the park here, and we're actually both recording into the same microphone. It's the first time that's happened in in months. Uh huh. Arms extended out. <laughs> that's right. Equidistant. <laughs> This week's episode of Climactic is actually going to be an episode of your show, Growing Concern, that's on the Climactic Network, and thank you very much for letting me run one of your episodes as this week's episode. Hey, uh, <laughs> I, I'm honored. Uh, anything that I do can be absolutely repurposed for anything Climactic. The more the more we get this stuff out there, the better. Yeah. You know, and so, hence why, you know, anything I do create for Growing Concern, I'll then share with a collective to then use, like, music that I'm making, those sorts of things. Um, because, you know, we're better off when we are a unified voice. So, absolutely, yeah, stoked. And one of the hardest things, I think, about being a podcaster that a lot of people who maybe just listen to podcasts don't really understand is that, you know, most podcasts you listen to, especially that aren't big productions from big networks, are, are really solo endeavors. People are working away on stuff in their bedrooms, and it is quite like the only time you might be speaking to anyone else in the whole production is the interview. Yeah. And then you might be, like, kind of, sweating bullets right. you've only had the one chance and you got a guest and it's it's hectic and and it's so cool to actually get to talk to someone else before an episode comes out and then get to, to repurpose stuff and big time there's, there's the second lots, of, lots of lessons i've learned from you particularly is sort of you know if you sit with something for so long uh you overthink it and you possibly and in my case i have missed certain you know opportunities that i could have done a wrap-up at the end of the episode or I could have asked different questions in a different way to elicit a different response. So having like, you know, the collective in general as a place just to be like, is this shit or is it a hit? Like, help me. It can be quite arduous. But I guess if you do it for the love of it, you don't realize until you've put in like the eighth hour on an episode cutting out ums and ahs and, you know, but it's such a cool thing to do. It really is. I've been a huge fan of Growing Concern since you first described it to me. And I... I from the first time I heard you speak at a Bayside Climate Action Group panel, and I thought, you know, this this guy, he's got a unique take on things, he's got a unique voice on things, and he he's not a traditional climate voice. Um, he, he brings enough of kind of like everyday life to it. You know, this is something that, you know, you, you started off as just a, a guy who got into <laughs> climate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of other media in this space comes at very much of like a okay we're we're freaked out and we've been we've been activists for years now what else can we do yeah how do you kind of describe your own concern to people and, and what is it now that there's been a few episodes released certainly evolved but in a way that it just feels quintessentially me and like you say i do come at this from a different point of view my entire sort of vibe on this is that i want to communicate in the most succinct way possible because and I've, I've, my history is design, marketing, comms, that sort of stuff. So um, 
distilling down complex information into simple bite-sized chunks is like my bread and butter. I love it because if you can help someone learn something that's probably you know alienating or easily dismissed because oh, it's just too hard basket and you actually go well no I get that and let's do something about it that's huge you know I, I love that so much the name of the show is growing concern and the the concern of course is the climate crisis yep you kind of think the the house is on fire a bit but rather than writing a paragraph you're trying to fit on a sign saying excuse me the, the building is on fire and if you wouldn't mind kindly uh, vacating the premises at your earliest convenience you've kind of you're creating a show that says fire exit yeah. and cutting to the chase a lot. The episode in particular that we're you know, introducing now and that people are about to hear is, is an interview with a, with a friend of yours, but he's a, an airline pilot. And I could totally imagine the topic of airlines and, and what it's like to work in that industry and how it intersects with the climate crisis could have been really dry and could have been very mm. much about emissions in the troposphere, right. even like you know right. the, the height at which planes fly, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. How did you kind of approach this episode in a, in a more human way? Granted that you know your your guest was was a mate. Totally, yeah. So I'm obviously privy to things that other people wouldn't have. If someone else had decided to get him on a podcast, they probably would have talked about the academia of atmospheric, you know, effects of blah blah blah. But I knew that you know he'd gone through a fair few challenges this year, as have everybody, right? But for him in particular, like he became redundant from a job that he dedicated his, his, his entire life to. Um, he's now a dad. Um, his wife also works in the same company doing domestic flights. So for them, it's just like completely flipped upside down. I think the way that we have to have better conversations about these things is through a human lens. We actually have to speak to people's struggles. And I know this from my work in you know, creative that you talk about stats and pie charts and stuff. It just doesn't connect. It was a really, really good conversation with Nick, and I'm really excited to be able to share it with the climactic listener who may not have heard Growing Concern before. Where would you recommend people go to get more of the show if they like what they're about to hear? Yeah, well, climactic.com.au. I've also got a page on my site, but, you know, I think Climactic is, is the place. Uh, we're really, really happy to have you, Sean, and uh, thank you for letting us share it with our audience today. No problem. Thanks for having me. So you're up in the sky, around 38,000 feet. You stare out the window and you see a very familiar view. You've been on this flight countless times before. It's not everyone's typical commute, but it is for you. It's just another day, another dollar. But you're not on your way to work. This is your work. You're not the passenger, you're the pilot. In the last few years, you've been flying the 787 Dreamliner around the globe to places like Melbourne... LA, London, Buenos Aires, Hong Kong, and you've noticed a shift. The world around you is changing, and you're able to see it firsthand from the widest perspective possible. The pilot I'm referring to is Nick Thorne, an old friend of mine. He's dedicated himself over the past decade and a half to becoming a high-ranking Qantas pilot. He's been all over the planet, seen things that most people can only dream of, especially now. And he has a uniquely holistic perspective on our planet that's opened his eyes to the irrefutable, tangible reality of climate change. And once he saw it, he couldn't ignore it. Pilots get a lot of downtime between flights, plenty of time to sit and think, and compelled by the things he'd witnessed, 
Nick set about searching for local solutions and discovered the Bayside Climate Crisis Action Group. Fast forward a few months, and Nick was addressing the Bayside City Council in a bid to persuade them to call a climate emergency. And they were successful. Nick's career as a pilot was unquestionably concrete, but then COVID-19 hit, and everything we thought we knew about job security went completely out the window. Since then, Nick's become a dad. The future for him and his family feels far less secure than it did before 2020 came along and made a mess of things. So faced with his uncertainty, Nick's resolve kicked in again. He's now studying atmospheric science in the hope he can solve big problems at the intersection of aviation and climate change. It's impressive to say the least. Before we kick into our conversation, here's Nick addressing the Bayside City Council. Uh, Thank you, Mayor. I live locally and work as an international airline pilot for Qantas, flying the 787 Dreamliner. I'm here to discuss my unique perspective of climate change I see in my job and how declaring a climate emergency would be beneficial. The problems I observe with climate change are all over the world are directly related to what we do in the local community. My main office view is the Pacific Ocean. Our oceans absorb 80 to 90% of the heat from global warming and then slowly release it over time, locking us into further warming. As the oceans heat up, they expand and cause sea levels to rise. This threatens the many Pacific Island territories that I fly over. As I fly to Hawaii, it's here that one of the main global measurements of carbon dioxide is made. They show the alarming rise of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere to the same level it was three million years ago. On a recent trip to Alaska, I witnessed the unprecedented amount of fires out of season. Every glacier's visitor centre has before and after shots of the glacier receding, and messages pleading with the visitors to take action on climate change. In Canada, I've seen the devastating effect of the pine beetles on the national parks. The warmer climate has allowed them to spread further north. They burrow into the trees and leave them dead and dry. Recently in San Francisco, they were handing out face masks to the crew upon arrival due to the unprecedented smoke from the fires. En route to South America, we fly over Antarctica, which is double the size of Australia and 98% covered in ice. The rate that this ice is now melting has tripled in the last decade. During trips to the UK and Europe this summer, there were extreme heat waves, flooding of sea barriers and immigration issues that climate change is beginning to trigger. Even though I witnessed these effects all around the world, they are directly related to me and my community. The way I shop, eat, throw out the rubbish, choose my electricity, choose my car investments, whom I vote for, these local actions that I make They impact the rising sea of the Pacific Islands, the fires in Alaska, the melting glaciers and warming oceans. Our global emissions need to reverse. We need to remove the greenhouse gases from the atmosphere that we put there to stop our entire ecological environment from changing. Climate change is a global emergency that doesn't just need federal government action, but local solutions. Declaring emergencies is something that I train for at least four times a year. As a pilot, after we identify a problem, One of the first things we do is declare an emergency. The declaration of an emergency changes the communication style of all involved to a more direct one, and the decision-making process becomes more efficient. It's for these exact reasons that our local community would benefit from the declaration of a climate emergency, because the next logical question is what can we now do to solve this emergency? Thank you. Thank you. There may be some questions. All right. Hey, hey, Nick. How's it going, mate? Thanks for joining me. Good. Uh, I, I don't know if I should call you Marshy or Sean. Mate, call me, call me whatever you want. 
I've <laughs> only ever called you Marshy, so it has to be that. <laughs> People don't even know my first name sometimes. Nah, you don't um, have one. It's just Marshy. You can call me whatever you want. We've known okay. each other for long enough. We have a long time. Yeah. When was the first time we met? Mate, you said it was going to be easy questions. Um, <laughs> I don't know. More than a decade. Easily, easily. Definitely more than a decade. So we're going to talk about who you are, what you've done, uh, the things you've seen, the challenges of 2020 and what the future looks like. Let's just kick this off with what are your biggest concerns right now? In terms of climate change? Anything. <laughs> Anything in life. Yeah, yeah. 2020 has <laughs> been, been, a, been a nutcase of a year. 20. Um, and for you, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, 2020 has definitely been a roller coaster. Um, biggest concerns. Well, for me and my family, I mean, we just, we, I'm married, my wife, and um, we have a three-month-old son. So, you know, the, the number one concern was making sure he was healthy this year. Mm -hmm. So that was probably my biggest concern. But um, second to that, you know, my wife and I are both airline pilots. So we've both lost our jobs this year. So we've both lost our income of sorts. We had that to deal with. We had, yeah, that, and then not knowing when we're going to have that job back. But we're, you know, we're pilots. We're not, it's not just a job. Like my wife wanted to be a pilot since she was a little kid. And I wanted to be one since I was about 18. So this is our, we, you know, we lost the ability to pursue our passion. So it, and part of our identity is lost for that as well. So they're, they're the major concerns. And then, you know, on top of that, we've got, which I guess part of the reason I'm here is, you know, the concerns we have with climate change. And the concern is that for me is that one, I don't think people just don't understand what's happening. And then two is just, we are not doing anything about it. I know. Yeah. That is the major concern. All the people in power are not doing anything about it. Yeah, in fact, they're doing the opposite of mm. doing something about it. A while back, I was thinking about, you know, the, the future generations of kids um, and how it's going to affect them. But anyone listening to this right now, we will see the negative effects of climate change in our own lifetimes. So the question I was going to ask you is like you're worried about Jag's future, your son, um, but you and me, it's our future too. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, I do a fair bit of work around trying to prevent climate change, um, which I guess we'll get to. And one of the reasons is, yes, for, for my son. So my son has – a lot of people will say that with my age too um, or with young children. I want to make sure that, the, that I leave the planet in a good condition for our children. But it's – you know – in 10 to 20 years' time, when I'm in the, the peak of my career um, or life, we, we will be dealing with the consequences of climate change then. That's how rapidly it's changing. Yeah. Yeah. And when was the first time you realized that this was an issue? We talked about this a little while back. You said back in the MySpace days, you yeah. had stuff on your profile. Yeah. So um, I, I guess most of my life I've been interested. As far I was thinking about this when you asked me to come on and chat. And I said, well, actually, most of my life I've been interested in climate change. The earliest memory I have is um, of this is, yeah, back when we had good old MySpace and Al Gore, I guess he was running for president back then, must have been late 1990s. And, um, you know, Al Gore had the, the, the big documentary that came out um, 
I've forgotten the name. Inconvenient Truth? Yeah, Inconvenient Truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had my whole MySpace with yeah, Inconvenient Truth. You know, I got the code and you paste that in there and you make it look all um, you know, matching the Inconvenient Truth logos and color scheme. And, and we and I remember taking the pledge, whatever the pledge, the climate pledge at the time, which was, you know, switching off. I remember like telling my parents, switch off the lights when you're not using them. You know, that was a big thing back then, less energy consumption. And so I remember watching that, it hitting me like emotionally, like a lot of people and thinking, geez, there's a problem. We've got to do something about this. And because we can do something about this, it's quite clear that that global warming is being caused by our behavior. So yeah, I remember taking that climate pledge and, and it was a list of things and I listed them on my MySpace. And I was like, I pledge to, to do these things. So what, what was it? I can't remember a whole lot because it was quite long ago. I just distinctly remember realizing, you know, me switching off and on the lights affects the the climate it's it's <laughs> such it's such a trip to think that that's what we thought was needed back then yeah and i know now, it's ridiculous now it's, i mean now yeah. my lights uh, use one less than one percent of my energy bill in this where i live so wow, lights is yeah, yeah. it's not really a huge issue because yeah. of the you know technology advances but yeah that since back then um that was that was when i first became interested in in global warming as it was called back then and then you know, you know the term changed that was well before even i was aware of how serious this was yes yeah well you know. i was aware of it and then it went away you know then i didn't really think about it much for a while until i guess the past several years is when it started coming back into my um to my field of view uh yeah so i'd always had that interest and with my with my job on the international airline pilot, you know, I travel all around the world for work. And then in my downtime, I love to travel. So my wife and I just go on holidays around the world, which we can't do at the moment. Um, mm. And we're missing very much, but we, we, we love to travel when we can. And it's, it's, it's a goal for us. We, you know, we, we plan to do that um, at least once a year. And in this travel that I've done, it was the past few years that I just noticed that um, climate change was just impacting everywhere we went you know the, the the main one for me that really set me back off now in terms of deciding to make uh, a large part of my life taking action against climate change was we went on a cruise in alaska now it sounds like old people go on cruises in alaska and you've got to be mm-hmm. you know rich and pompous but remember i work in the airline industry and we get great discounts on cruises um so we went on this cruise in alaska when it went it left um it left Vancouver and it went up in, into they call the Inside Passage of Alaska, and it was on that cruise that there was a um, environmentalist that, that gave presentations each day, and so I went along to those presentations, uh, just being interested in learning and learning about what we were seeing, the spectacular and amazing views that we had, and this environmentalist over the course of seven days gave a lecture every day. And they're really interesting. The first one started off about the natural wildlife and the habitats and how the mountains are formed and what's the difference between a porpoise and a dolphin and all the amazing things that we see up there and how to spot the different animals. Um, and then he even went into things about you know, the history of our environment and the history of our climate. And he got a lot of people to really buy into what he was saying, especially on this cruise when you had a lot of um, Americans. Uh, it was still a lot of Australians too, but it was skewed to more older generation, baby boomers, retired people. Um, and not generalizing, but I, you can sort of tell a lot of people had the views that, you know, climate change isn't real. You know, this, this sort of, this mm-hmm. view that, that is somewhat popular. Uh, and they really bought into, this guy's name is Milos 
uh, Rado Rakovic. I can't say his last name properly, but there Milos got these people to buy in, and I really enjoyed his presentation. And then on the last day, he gave a presentation about climate change, um, and he just dropped the bombshell of climate change on on all these people that had already thought, "Hey, I like this guy. You know, I believe what he says. I trust what he says." And he just showed very simply and quite quickly and efficiently that we are causing climate change by using fossil fuels and changing the amounts of carbon dioxide and other um, materials in the atmosphere. And that is causing the planet to warm. And the main thing was he just, for me, that hit me, he just said, well, we're past the tipping point. You can stop all emissions right now. Tomorrow we could go to net zero emissions, carbon neutral, everything. And it's still going to get worse. We are locked in to warming and changing. It's, we are past the tipping point, you know? So you can all debate this, whatever you want, but this problem is happening and is, has already happened. And now we have to, like, we have to learn to live with this new climate that, we've, that we're creating. Um, the, the, the asterisk on that, I guess, is carbon sequestration. So removing mm-hmm. the gases that we put there in the atmosphere will then slowly reverse the changes that we made. So I, I am positive in terms of we don't just have to get to carbon neutral, we have to get to removing the carbon uh, from the atmosphere. Yeah, so, it's, it's when you, know, you have conversations with people about sustainability. Sustainability is just essentially like you know, keeping things at an even keel. We have to go carbon negative and we have to do yeah. it quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. It's interesting that you say that people bought in personally to Milos. Um, yeah. And I'm fascinated by this where facts and figures, the more you push at someone and say, no, but 20% this and 1.5 degrees and people seem to shy away from stats and stuff, but they do buy into people's personalities. Yeah, well, this is what was amazing about this. Um, this is what sticks in my mind, this, this guy's presentation, because we had hundreds of people there and I saw them. Um, you know, I'm condensing the story, but you know, I saw them watch Milos over the, the course of the week, and you know, we chat to these people when we meet them at dinner. That's how the cruise is set up. You go and meet people, and it's, it is really interesting. I I really love meeting people on these cruises. Um, there's some fascinating people there, and you know, we meet to them and talk to them, and you you understand their views about climate change. You know, I'd naturally talk about it sometimes, uh, and they you know they were of the belief that it just wasn't happening or wasn't caused by by us by humans, uh, and it was amazing to watch people's views change at, 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 the, at the final day when Milos gave that presentation. And that was what I believe is, and I spoke to Milos about this afterwards. You know, he got the people to believe in him and, and say, I like this guy and trust this guy. So then when he presented the facts of climate change, they, didn't, they couldn't say, I don't believe him anymore because they've already gone and told everybody about mm-hmm. on the cruise that, hey, instead of going to yoga class, did you know I've been going to the educational classes on the environment or on um, you know, the wildlife in Alaska? So they love to talk, talk about how Milos is an expert and now he's made me an expert. So they couldn't all of a sudden say, you know what, he's, he's a crazy dude and what he's saying is wrong and yeah. he's, you know, he's just some um, you know, left-wing it- guy. It so looked they, like they had egg on their face. Yeah, <laughs> so they couldn't go against their own you know, beliefs in that sense. So they just had to partly accept what he was saying. And that was the first time I really saw in a short amount of time people with such, um, you know, they've got views that are already set in stone against climate change and happening actually change their mind and go, okay, maybe it is. This is a problem. What can we do about it? And you know, he had questions in the audience afterwards, people putting their hands up saying, hang on, you know, all right, I, I get what you're saying, but I thought, you know, Trump, was good 
for the environment. You know, it was amazing. People would, wow. and, and he would, it was just like he'd open their minds and they were like, well, hang on, I thought this actually wasn't a problem. You know, rather than just denying it and saying, oh, I'm leaving, this is not, this is crazy. Mm. They actually were then ready to um, partly change their mind on, so it, on it, pe- it piqued their curiosity at, in some way at least. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. there was a line of people to talk to him afterwards. Oh, right. Okay. Because so. they, you know, that, that, that question for me was when someone put their hand up and, that, and they just said, you know, I thought Trump was uh, solving this for us. And, you know, I thought Trump was right, basically, um, that, that, that this wasn't a problem, but you're telling me it is and I believe you. So why was I lied to by Trump or why, was, why is my opinion wrong? Which is pretty amazing for people to come out and stand up and say, you know what, I think I'm wrong or the people I used to believe were wrong. Um, why is that? Uh, and there's, that for me, two things. One, it just was really interesting to see people's opinions change. And then secondly, that was a point that afterwards, after that trip, after that holiday, um, there was many other examples I mentioned in that speech that I've seen on, on the holidays. But that particular one, I, when he said we're past the tipping point and showed why, and I just thought, geez, I cannot, I didn't know we were past the tipping point. I thought we had heaps of time to solve this. It's pretty um, bleak, yeah. Yeah, and it was just, I thought, I've got to do some more about this. So I, I have to do more. Uh, and after that, I, I took a lot of action. I joined the board of my local climate change action group, and now I've you know, gone into actually studying a, a master's of atmospheric science to effectively become a climate scientist in, in, in my spare time, which I have a lot of because I'm not flying at the moment. Yeah. So, and yeah, that, that, that really set me off that, that, that particular moment. I'll, I want to come back to um, the, the climate scientist sort of pathway that you're on, but with, with Milos's approach and the way he was able to engage people, is have you, what have you taken from that? Do you, has it changed the way you approach people when you discuss these things? Yeah, definitely. You, if you're going to talk to somebody about climate change, a lot of people will just get angry if they come across someone they don't believe. I see this on a lot of, um, even a lot of social media posts by political parties that I might mostly agree with. If you don't understand climate change, you're an idiot type of approach, which is just, it's not going to work. It's not going to, you know, you have to, you have to be kind and respectful to the people that you talk to. If you're going to change their mind, they have to like you first before they will even consider changing their mind to your point of view, no matter what you're talking to them about. So I think, first of all, coming from a place of respect, understanding why somebody might have the belief that it's clearly false that um, you know, climate change is a hoax, you know, for example. Uh, and, and there's a lot of people in society that have that belief. So you know, why do they have that? And, and you have to come from a point of, well, this is, might be a, an opportunity to try and educate them. Well, why aren't they educated in that way? Rather than saying they're stupid for not being educated, Often it's there's more behind it in terms of they're not stupid. They just, you know, why did they come to that point of view? And if they can like you and and respect you, then you have a chance to then change their mind. Uh, yeah. So and I think we have to do that because we have too many people that don't understand climate change and have these beliefs that are that are false that are causing harm to our environment. I think a lot of us need to change our tact in terms of trying to change other people's minds. Yeah, it it is interesting. Climate change, just the science in general, you can on the surface say it's very clear, but it's also extremely complex. There are still some people that don't understand that there's a difference between weather and climate, you know, like that averaging. So like the whole global warming conversation around, oh, but it it was cold this winter, so that's rubbish, or it's even colder in this part of the world now. If If you think about it, 
if you come across something that's really uncomfortable and something that's actually quite complex, um, it's easier if you get the narrative of it's a hoax. You're like, you know what? That's yeah, easier. I'm going to go with that. Because yeah. it's, it's a frightening... The issue is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think being nice to people and gaining their trust is what we've seen done very effectively by people who are pro-fossil fuels, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's well thought out. Extremely that, well thought out. Yes. They know exactly what they're doing. And I'll draw the line at being nice to them. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. And then it's, it's, you get really, I get angry at, at this stuff too, but it's just like anger is not going to, it's not going to solve this issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've, we, there is a lot of anger and you've got to use it. We saw with the, with the climate protests, I was in San Francisco for those global, uh, the one that basically Greta started, Greta Thunberg started. Mm. And I was in San Francisco and the, it was amazing the amount of people there. And, you know, there's a lot of anger in, in yeah. that crowd. And, and you've got to use it, but you can't use the anger on the, the people that you're trying to change. Their mind is just not going to work. Yeah, it's anger is a, one of those emotions that it's understandable, but it also is very unruly and can just be, it can lash out in all different directions and typically it isn't as effective um, as it could be. Um, speaking of effective, you were part of getting Bayside City Council to declare an emergency. Can you tell me all about that? Yeah, climate emergency, yeah. Um, so after that cruise, uh, that was when I uh, I actually went up up to Milos and, and um, spoke to a few people and said, what can I do here that, that's more, you know, I'm, I'm an airline pilot. I'm, what can I actually do? And someone said, just take action at a local level. Why aren't you doing that already? And I thought, yeah, Nick, why aren't I doing that? And as soon as I got back from that holiday, I just looked up local climate change action groups and I found one called BCAG is the acronym BCCAG Bayside Climate Crisis Action Group that we now call ourselves uh, and long story short I, I joined the board and with that group I, I really like that group because they know the local politics really well they understand the, the science and they know what needs to be done and, and they, they they're effective so when, with that we got a bunch of people to come together we actually got the Bayside Council to declare a climate emergency after putting you know, a lot of work around this and then getting multiple people to make certain speeches at the uh, council meeting. And yeah, the, the, the council said, yes, there is a climate emergency, as, as many other councils have done this. And, but it was the work of this group that then got that council to do that. And then the council, the local level, then takes out to the state and federal level and they, they said, we call on the federal government to do more to reduce emissions. So to me, that is that is taking action rather than sharing something on Facebook or going to a protest, which are uh, important. I feel like you know we worked on something. We actually got a political message across that, that by law has to be listened to. So you know we we affected some sort of change there. And then on a state, our local level, we're now in the process of um, actioning out this climate emergency action plan, which will protect trees or you know make decisions for renewable energy, etc. Um, and so I, I really like, I think it's one of the best things you can do is to take action on a local level because that's how we, that's how politics in Australia works. You know, we impact our local level that then goes to the state level that then goes to the federal level. Um, and, and the actions that we do with our, with BCAG is that, yeah, we've got the, the council to declare a climate emergency. The adjacent council then did it shortly there afterwards. And then now they are, you know, we're holding them accountable to, 
actioning this plan. Yeah, it's like you said you did it. So what are you doing now? Yeah, yeah and they have got a plan. You know, we don't think it's good enough, but they they've, they have got a plan now after yeah. that that is, you know, taking action on, on climate change directly. Mm-hmm. You know, buildings are being changed. Electricity is being changed. You know, trees are being more protected. Uh, the construction materials are being reconsidered. So things, Fantastic. yeah, that 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 to me is is making change. If everybody did that at their local level, we would have mass change. Uh, yeah, I was in the room when you had your speech, yeah. uh, and it was quite the emotional uh, events, really, because at the end of it, the entire room just erupted in applause as they said, "We unanimously declare a climate emergency." And I was yeah. like, I didn't expect this was. Like it just hit me. I was like, we packed is, out the council chambers with everybody that wanted that wanted this to happen. Yeah. So when they voted for the climate emergency, and this is a fairly conservative council, when they voted and said this is a climate emergency, yeah, it was a really big. It was a crescendo of all of the work that um, that we've done it in that organisation. And there's some people in that organisation that dedicate their lives to it. You know, I do it in my spare time, but yeah, there's a lot of people in there that are pretty amazing. Like who? Oh, the president, David Rothfield. You know, he's a retired guy, but he effectively works full-time uh, on this. And he leads this action group to take action at local, state, and federal levels. You know, we, he, he lobbies the federal government, lobbies the state government. They, he is doing some amazing work in actually, you know, getting political change in terms of action on climate change. So he's directing his energies in the most efficient ways, is it? I think so. I think yeah. it's an efficient way to do it. I mean, there's other ways to do it. You could start a, a company that is, you know, has renewable energy. There's definitely other ways to do it. But you know, in terms of my profession is an airline pilot, uh, and in my spare time, I can impact positively climate change uh, by 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 volunteering and helping with this with this local group that takes action. There's definitely other things that are positive. You know. Uh, don't eat a lot of red meat, etc. cetera. Uh, change the way you throw out your rubbish. All very important. But for me, I wanted to take a bit more action than just do the small things that I think everybody should do. A lot of my generation too, we're happy to donate money, but we also want to donate our time. You know, I wanted to work on something that I would be proud of and say, you know, I worked on this. You know, we made stuff happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we also want to see tangible outcomes from that that energy and that money and it's uh well yeah we got to do something about it we got to do something about this we got to we got to fight you know for our lives for this because when you understand the problem it is scary man it is it's it's so bad it is scary i've had a couple of uh minor freakouts the last couple of days just just doing this podcast in general i've come across information and had conversations where um it's just sort of in a constant slap in the face that doesn't the sting doesn't seem to go away yeah um but i don't want that anxiety to just shut me down i've got to keep going um, no, it's, and we've got to yeah you can't you have to keep going but it's just when, when you understand we say that it looks like the climate is going to warm by about two degrees you know we're, we've probably already locked that in with mm-hmm. the amount of heat that we have in our oceans now already that are slowly being released and then you go two degrees, okay. But then when you understand what two degrees um, increase to our overall climate does, that is scary. You know, go look that up. Um, and that that is, and it impacts everything. It impacts everything in the way everybody lives their life. It's going to impact my job as a pilot. That we're flying through increased turbulence. We've we've got issues of the 
landing in smoke we had in Australia this year. We couldn't land with the smoke. We didn't have the technology set up for that. And also with the, there's a headwind that's changed at Melbourne Airport. Yeah, the winds are changing directions at the airports. The jet streams around the world are moving. You know, that's going to have impacts on other climates, smaller climates around the, the planet as well. Yeah, migratory patterns of birds. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's everything. You know, yeah, you pick a profession and I'm, we can pretty quickly come up with a way it's going to affect you. We were also, uh, we went to an event where um, some guy, I forget his name, was talking about climate change and sport and oh, how yeah. at two degrees of warming, you just won't see people playing sport outside in summer Yeah, because it'll just be too hot. At times, correct, yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're into sport and you want to keep watching it, then uh, maybe take this seriously. Yeah. If, if you're listening, you're probably already taking it seriously. That's probably true. That's probably <laughs> yeah. true. So with this atmospheric science degree that you, uh, we, we, we discussed this, it's a begrudging change of pace and direction for you. How does it feel? And are you excited about the future? And what, what are your plans? Oh, yeah. So there's a lot in that. So let me unpack it. Well, you know, start of the year, um, my wife and I, she was pregnant. We're on holidays in Europe and we're just, we're living our dream. You know, we both dreamt of being pilots. I'm international. She's domestic at the moment. She's a pilot as well. And so we said to each other that we are just living our dream at the moment. You know, everything is going well for us and, and we planned it and worked hard for that. And then, you know, the pandemic, we were, so we were actually in Italy when the pandemic began, we were in Venice. We driving out of Venice to the lakes in Italy when it, it broke out in that region. And as we moved down in Italy further south, the pandemic it wasn't a pandemic then. It was just the you know COVID nineteen was following us, um, and it was a great experience to see it happening there. Um, I mean, I guess a terrible experience of what was happening to the people of Italy. We ended up. Uh, you know, leaving the holiday early and just coming home because the whole global situation was changing back then um, uh, very rapidly. Uh, and when we came back to Australia, it was quite amazing. You know, we, we had a, a friend's wedding that we went to a couple of weeks after coming back. And at the wedding, everyone's together and kissing and hugging and getting drunk and spitting on each other when they talk. And you know, we, <laughs> we had said, no idea, right? Yeah. And we just said to each other, we said, because we've been in Italy and Italy was sort of where... You know, it was like two or three months in the future compared to everyone else. And we said, you have no idea what's coming. You know, they're going to lock things down. You're going to be wearing masks. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you've got to get serious about this disease at the moment. And it was amazing watching Australia follow the path that we just experienced in Italy uh, and slowly lock down. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting in my house right now and I've effectively been under house arrest here since March. Yeah, um, and, I, and, and I know you well enough that you're hating it, aren't you? Well, my the playground, my playground for me used to be the world. I used to travel the world now and my life would happen in different places around the world. Now my entire life takes place in the living room mm-hmm. uh, and that's <laughs> definitely getting to me like I think everybody else. Um, yeah. And having a baby in a pandemic was an, another experience for I guess another entire podcast episode. Yeah. Uh, so... The pandemic happened. We got stood down from our, you know, our dream jobs. Even domestic flying, we thought would return, which hasn't yet. And you know, sitting there, left with the with the prospect of possibly not returning to a job. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, at the moment, we still have our jobs in the future, which we're very, very grateful for. We have friends that have lost their entire careers, been made redundant. 
and that I just don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, both of us are reliant on the income from being pilots. So I thought I've got to take some sort of control here, take action. And I want to try and do something with my, you know, my, I have a passion for flying. I love flying and I, I love the airline that I work for and I love my job. But, you know, I'm also passionate about climate change. So I thought, well, is there something I can do to combine those things? Because I think I'm going to have a flying job, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know in, in two years' time, I may not. So I, can I do something in this time that sort of satisfies both of those requirements, you know? Um, I also used to have a, I, got, I guess I got a few interests. I used to have a financial education business, online business. I used to run that and I, I founded it and ran it and sold it a few years ago. So I thought maybe I can get back into that. But I thought, you know, I, I, I think and I hope that I will have a pilot job again, which is what I really want to do. So I don't want to go down the financial education path that I've done before. So I, I thought, you know, hell, why not just get requalified a little bit and become effectively a climate scientist specializing in aviation? You know, a, aviation is changing the climate with emissions, but climate change is impacting aviation in some of the things we spoke about. So, um, yeah, long story short, I applied to do a master's of science or master's of atmospheric science. Um, and you have to pick a research project because I've already have a bachelor degree, so I could do a master's and my research project is going to be something about the impacts of climate change on aviation at least something more specific when when we get as we're working on it right now and trying to combine industry and um, academic as well does something so, like that exist and yeah like there's it- a lot of, a lot of work has already been done in this area you know as, okay. as we mentioned that we know that jet streams are changing because of climate change because people have done research on them we know that temperatures in certain airports are going to increase and therefore tires are going to melt well the pavement right. is going to melt you can't land heavy aircraft on them so we there's areas that we understand it's just which area do we want to have a bit of a better understanding which what can i contribute to that to that area and and something specifically for my hopefully something more specific for you know, where i operate mostly which is in australia because we have a lot of research uh, over the atlantic in, in terms of the north atlantic jet streams and things like that um, because that's where most of the traffic is. But there's not much work done on the Pacific, which is mostly where I fly uh, between uh, Americas and, and Australia. So uh, I'll, I'll probably pick something around around that. So yeah, I, I went and I got accepted and I've been studying now part-time a Master's of Atmospheric Science. So on my way to becoming a, a climate scientist. And, and I, the way I see it is that when I finish that, you know, I return to flying, which I really hope I do, I can use it in my flying. Um, and and do something something more than just a pilot, and hopefully get airlines around the world to take more action and re- to reduce their emissions, which is possible. And then also, you know, if, if my flying career doesn't return because no one knows what's happening with this pandemic, then I can just purely go and work uh, as a climate scientist somewhere, and at least have work that is meaningful and I'm passionate about. I think the yeah. sad irony of all that is that there will be work for you in climate science in the future. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the, the challenge I've had with this, the, the thing that I still come up against is that a part of me is like, all right, we know, we, we just know there's a problem. Do I, do I want to actually still become a climate scientist or should I just go start a company or work on something that actually is just part of the solution? But I, I still think it's really important. I think this is absolutely yeah, part to, of the solution. Yeah. I think, I think the, the intersection of what you have done, so you deeply understand that, to then a problem that you also deeply understand and then you're sitting yourself right in the middle and saying, okay, cool, I'm going to use my, my understanding and I'm just going to try and fix what I can in the most 
at the best part. Yeah, well, I've been flying for airline for about 10 years and, and previous flying experience. So I wanted to use that. I wanted to be able to say, well, my specialist is in aviation. I want to try and help aviation become better at you know, stopping climate change and then dealing with it. As I said, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's happening. I think that the logical thing is once people understand climate change, they want to take action against it. Yeah. That, that, that generally follows. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the whole reason I'm doing this is that, you know, we, we talk about it, we share ideas and most importantly, like, you know, tangible solutions. Um, and your story uh, is one of those moments where you've had to pivot your life um, and you've chosen something that's incredibly impressive and really is a solid solution to an issue that you know pretty well. What about, I mean, what would you say to someone else that's in a similar situation to you? Because clearly most people are. Um, and, and in terms of like job security, like no one ever thought that a pilot would, like the entire workforce of yeah. pilots around the world would be stood down. No one wants to feel sorry for pilots either. They all think that we're <laughs> super rich and you know, <laughs> yeah. that no one's like, you're a pilot, you're fine. What are you talking about? Do you, do you get lumped in with doctors sometimes? Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. yeah doctors probably work a bit harder than us, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would definitely put more. Well, I mean, you do have a bit of downtime, but when you're on, you're on, I guess. Yeah, anyway. you got to, you got to be on any time. You know, two a.m. Yeah, <laughs> but like local solutions and suggestions for anyone listening to this episode. Any nuggets of wisdom you'd like to share? Oh, what is in terms of climate change and taking action? You're saying, or yeah, just- I mean, because you've you've been a part of local stuff. You had that drive. You sought out. BCAG, you found well, them. Well, yeah. Look, one of the, the the best things I think is just is mainly two things. Is what I've sort of the message I guess I've been trying to get across is you know one get educated on it. It's not hard to get educated on it. There's some fantastic websites out there. There's you know skeptical science is one of them, and you can even do small little qualification courses on there. Um, you know, just get educated from a reputable source. And then secondly, uh, I was I just look to take action at a local level. There are. I'm on the board of this um, of BCAG, this you know the, the local action group, and there are hundreds of these groups. We have to form an organisation to group of them all. We call it BCAN. There's so many acronyms. Um, it's like flying acronyms, but you know it's the there there is a uh, you know Bayside Emergency Climate Action Network, and so we have a network of all these other groups, and it, you know every council has some of these groups or one of these groups. Um, some of them may be more active than others. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you don't live in that exact council, just choose the one next closest to you. But I would say, look at where you can take action on, on a local level. And I think that's really effective. It's generally really easy. These organizations will already have things and ways you can do it. So you don't even have to be expertise uh, ex- expert in this area. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in a lot of the other areas that people on the board are really good with they understand the local politics and they'll say look for your local organization and join that organization and then bring the, the skills that you have across so with my organization i'm on the board there but i i more use my skills in terms of the understanding i have on building with climate change so like they can come to me as a part of a uh, you know fact check or something but more so um, you know, I've got skills just being younger than most other people on the board in terms of previously running a business, in terms of advertising and marketing and building websites and growing lists and getting the message out there. So I'm helping them mostly with growing the amount of people that are on you know, their list because they already have a really small active group of people that 
you know, yeah, take action. Like Mike declare climate emergencies at the council. I mean, this is pretty amazing, the stuff that they've already done. And their meetings draw a lot of people already and they only have a small people on that list. In our local council, there's 105,000 people. We've got like less than 1% of that on our list. And I want to take that to, you know, around 5%. I want to help them grow the people on their list and then that will naturally get more people taking action and you'll just, you'll just get the council listening. If you've got a, more people, you've got more power and the council yeah. and the M, local MPs will listen and take action on it. So wrapping up, I think you you sit really well in the BCAG group in terms of like your understanding of technology in general and also like the digital world and social media. So if anyone's listening and you have a similar sort of grasp of, you know, things that potentially the older generations may not have, then you'll fit in perfect like a jigsaw puzzle. A lot of the older generations are, have grown up understanding grassroots movements, protesting, you know, speaking to elective representatives. And clearly what you've done, Nick, is you've understood that these are my, these are my skill sets. My values are very good at public speaking as well. And so they've obviously pulled you in and said, we need this guy. This is great. What a jackpot. So more people getting involved in a similar way. And like you say, people power. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you should just definitely approach your local organization and see what you can do. Ask where they need help or tell them where you're going to help. They're not going to turn you away. And I just think it's a fantastic, I've been really satisfied and really proud of the work that I can do with just on a local level. And I'm sort of surprised or annoyed. I didn't think of it earlier. Well, I mean, I sometimes feel that way myself about certain things, but here we are, we're doing it. We're getting shit done. Let's keep going. Right. Yeah. 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 I think we have to, we have to, uh, we have to start taking big action and we have to start getting change to happen. Um, otherwise we, uh, you know, we, we're, we're already in a world of trouble soon. Yeah. We're cool. So we, we've got to start, we've got to start, we've just got to start making massive change, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like I said, it's, you, you it's not even carbon neutral. We have to reverse it, mm-hmm. you know? We, and we're not even anywhere near that in terms of a, a large society understanding that that's that that's what needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have so far to go, which I guess is I don't want to end on a negative note, but I, you know we have to understand how far we have to go so we can all start um, working together and, and making change and, and speeding up how quick we yeah. can we can get it. The, the, the inspiring thing for me is, is seeing a lot of some of the, some of these you know wealthy individuals that are really making a difference or, or changing getting the message out there so there's there is definitely a lot of inspiration out there there are a lot of people making change and you know just trying to align yourself or find some of these people that are that are making that change and, and get on board with them thank you for joining us you've been listening to climactic the flagship podcast of the climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people of the Climactic Collective and all the shows on the network at climactic.com.au. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.